Online shopping is easy and convenient, and the Gundelio smartphone app makes it inexpensive, too. Deals on guns, ammunition, holsters, optics, lasers, and more, available day and night. Load the Gundelio Apple or Android app today at Gundelio.com. Tom Gresham, this is Gun Talk. If you want to know more about what we do, go to guntalk.com. We, of course, have the radio show, the podcast, multiple podcasts, most popular podcast in the hobbies category in the world, at least according to Apple. <laughs> anyway, they keep track of that. We've been doing this thing on the air for 25 years for Gun Talk Radio and been basically online with podcasts for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Definitely the first firearms-related podcast out there. Oh, yeah, if you want to follow me, know what else we're up to, go uh, follow me on Twitter and Parlor. I am at Gun Talk on both of those. Big story just breaking in the gun world, and it harkens back to the mess with the bump stocks, where the ATF said for years, bump stocks are fine, bump stocks are legal, and then all of a sudden, boop, nope, no, they're not. They're illegal. You've got to destroy them or you'd be a felon. Well, we've had stabilizing braces on AR-15 pistols for years, and ATF said, yeah, fine, everything's good. And then all of a sudden, they send a cease and desist letter to Q Incorporated, or QLLC, makers of the Honey Badger pistols, company out of New Hampshire, telling them that your stabilizing brace pistol is actually a short-barreled rifle, which is a... National Firearms Act item requiring a $200 tax and registration for each one. And those who bought them are going, what? What's going on? I mean, do I have to register this? Am Am I a criminal? Am I in danger? Well, to help us sort all of this out, joining us right now, Alex Bosco from SB Tactical. Alex, I sure am glad you're here, man. Well, thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate the ability to speak out about this. Okay, so I don't know how I did on that explanation. I was trying to get a lot of stuff out to help you kind of go ahead. Why don't you pick it up from there and correct anything that I screwed up, okay? (laughs) No, you didn't screw anything up. I think there's a little bit of background that's necessary for everyone. Um, I know a lot of people like to to pick up where where bump stocks are, and and it's not where I'm going to pick up, but um, we can go back to that, I think, during the conversation. Sure. I think you you started off by saying, you know, explaining what happened to Q, and, and, you know, I think to do that, we should set the stage. And to set the stage, I want people to know that SB Tactical has been trying to work with ATF now for, you know, for years, for many years. Uh, one of our attorneys is the former director of the ATF. His name's Mike Sullivan. Uh, in all of the meetings that I've had with the ATF, not all of them, but, but most of them, he's been present. And uh, through those years, we've tried to come to some kind of standards uh, that, that could be made available to industry members like myself who innovate and Q, who is uh, an exceptional innovator, uh, so that we can understand uh, and comply with the law. I think I think everybody will agree that Second Amendment uh, lovers are people that, that want to comply with the law. They want to obey. Right. Uh, most, the biggest reason is because they don't want to lose their rights. So but, but, they do, but in order to do that, you have to know what the law is. There has to be some kind of standardization or consistency here. Right, right. And so after 2015, and I think everybody will, 
remember the letter that the ATF drafted uh, the day SHOT Show started in 2015, where they said if you put a brace to your shoulder, you've now magically redesigned the weapon into a into a, an NFA firearm. I think people mm-hmm. remember that. Well, right. that to me uh, was a life-changing moment. And, you know, I've been privileged to start this company. It was a good idea that I came up with it, and, and the product is sold. But people have stuck their necks out uh, for us, and they've bought our product. They spent money on the product, and it, I, I was going to be damned if that was what the ATF was going to come up with. So I made it my life's work to turn that around. And from 2015 to 2017, I, I worked with the ATF. I, I had to essentially beg, borrow, and steal as much money as I possibly could to get the right attorneys on this. Mm-hmm. And eventually we got the ATF in 2017 to reverse that opinion. And essentially what they said was, you can sporadically, incidentally, or occasionally fire from the shoulder. And if you guys understood that we were saying that you could go to jail for simply putting it to your shoulder, you were wrong. And, and, and they didn't say we were sorry, but essentially they said that, you can, that, we, that they were wrong with their original opinion. And after that, I thought it would be very important uh, for everybody that something like this never happen again. So essentially, I, I sat down with the ATF on several occasions many different occasions, to come up with standards that would be made publicly available. Okay. And, you know, trying to come up with those standards, although not easy, uh, I think the basis through which you can come up with those standards is making the, the documents, the private documents that ATS has sent to people who submitted braces publicly available. And most of them are publicly available. We've made our letters uh, for the approvals of our braces publicly available. And there's about 10 other companies out there that have done the same thing. So you were so the first was, company to do this, right? Yes, yes. I was yeah. the first person to come up with, with the stabilizing brace. Right. So, yeah, so I mean, you're the originator, the innovator in this world. I just want people to understand that's who we're talking to here. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, look, there's a lot of, I, you know, I don't like being in the spotlight. Yes, I was the first person to do it. There are a lot of other braces that are out there now. Um I think what I was trying to get to essentially was to say that why don't we come up with a bunch of standards that are made publicly available based on what ATF has already approved. I think Mm -hmm. that would be the right way to go through this. Instead, what we found, just to go back to what happened to Q, is that ATF went to Q and essentially told them, well, we think your your gun is, is, you know, it's it's a shoulder-fired weapon, and therefore it's a short-barreled rifle. Well, if you go to somebody like that with no standards, it's it's un-American. It's simply wrong. It's unconstitutional. And what's this thing about some kind of holistically looking at the <laughs> total package of optics that are on it and advertising and marketing and deciding what kind of gun it is based on the marketing? Well, I think what what the ATF is trying to do here, and it's wrong, but I think they're, they they would like to be specific enough to be able to enforce it, but vague enough to be difficult to comply to. And you can't have your way with that. It's not, that's not the way this country works. We want, to, we want to comply with the law. So give us the publicly available standards, and we'll do that. But you, you can't do that. I mean, holistically, essentially what they're saying is, um, you know, they could look at any product at any time, um, and what the, the, the terminology they used was that it is a non-exhaustive list of things that they consider. 
And some things that they look at that's not exhaustive is a scope, whether or not you put a scope on it, whether or not you put sights and the types of sights, uh, the weight of the weapon, the caliber of the weapon, but it's non-exhaustive. Well, we, we can't have that. That's, that's not well, the way this industry you works. You can't design a product that says, okay, this is going to be a legal product unless they use some criteria that they don't know about yet and they won't tell us about. I mean, how can you operate like that? Well, you don't, and, you know, I think that it's a lot more nefarious. I think, you know, I've spoken about this over the past few days with several people, but the ATF, back in January, we had sat down with the Department of Justice and explained to the Department of Justice what the ATF was essentially doing with the industry. And the Department of Justice, who's the ATF's boss, wrote a letter to the ATF and said, listen, until you come up with standards, Okay, you're not to do anything about braces uh, in the industry. Well, what the ATF did essentially was they went around what the Department of Justice, their boss, had told them and used the criminal branch to go after a law-abiding company in this case and, and, and attempt wow. to hold them criminal and to, to criminally charge them. I mean, this to me is it's, it's just insane. It's crazy. And for those who don't understand... You're looking at 10 years and possibly $10,000, but 10 years is a possible sentence for right. for violating this law. And now the customers who have purchased products from Q are going, what now? I mean, is this a legal product? And, and Q is saying, well, you probably ought to disassemble it and get rid of part of it. And it's just a whole, it's a, it's a cluster is what it is. Tom, it gets worse. It really does get worse than that. I mean, in the sense that, you know, Q sat down with ATF and said, listen, what can we do to make this product lawful? Can we take the brace off of it and, you know, say that it's okay? Well, the ATF said, no, you can't take the brace off of it. Essentially, we look at the gun holistically, and we think that the gun was intended to be fired from the shoulder. Well, the agency can't come back to me and say, we think it's intended to be fired from the shoulder. I'm the inventor of the brace. It's not what I intended the brace to be developed for. So they're saying now to you that their gun is intended to be fired from the shoulder. We're going to have to find out and see what happens. I think the right people are involved. I'll put it that way. Okay. What does that mean? Well, uh, you know, I think I have to give a shout-out to the NRA. Now, I know that a lot of people aren't happy with the NRA over the past few years. There's been a lot of discussions about Wayne and about everything that's been happening, and I don't think we should. You could probably do a whole show on that. What I will say is, is that the only people who've really reached out to help have been people from the NRA. And the first thing they did was they reached out to the people they knew uh, in the Department of Justice. They reached out to the White House. A shout-out to Jason Wiemet. I mean, he, he's really been working behind the scenes to try and fix all of this. That's at ILA, uh, yeah, NRA ILA, right. Yeah, they've, they've, they've all been, you know, fantastic. I mean, they've really been helping us out, and I think everybody noticed that the White House put out a statement yesterday or the other day saying that they were now involved. So I, I really do think it's in the right hands. I think that we're headed in the right direction. Uh, I think something needs to be done about the ETS. Um, but, what, you know, what, if anything, can uh, the we gun owners do at this point to help with this? Well, um, you know, I think that Q put out a statement. Uh, we did it as well. And uh, there are one-click links there that if you go to our statement on our Instagram site, Q has it on theirs as well. Uh, you can reach out to your congressman, and we, we listed who you should go out and talk to. One of the, you know, the, the – 
people that we're working with is called Frack Action. You can go to frackaction.org. It's F-R-A-C. So frackaction.org. And essentially what Frack Action is, uh, is a coalition that has been designed specifically to ensure that agencies like the ATF operate in a fair, transparent, and consistent manner. That's what we need right now. And okay. they have they have the war chest to do it. I mean, it's you know, you and me can't do this. This right. is not something that we can do personally. But, this but is going to happen. When you go easy. there, when you go to frackaction.org, uh, on the right side, it says contact officials. You click on that, and it gives you links to contact the officials. Alex, I'm just flat out out of time. I, I'm so glad that you are here because you're, you're the man on this stuff. Would you do me the favor? Just keep us posted as things develop and let us know, and we'll get you back on here. I'm here for you. Okay. I appreciate that so much. Alex Bosco from SB Tactical, the inventor, the uh, the creator of that. This is just crazy land where they basically say, you make it, and then we're going to tell you if you've broken the law or not. What? No, we want to we, we can't obey the law if we don't know what the law is. You can't just make it up and say, we'll know it when we see it. 866-TALK-GUN. For more than 70 years, Timney Triggers has been enhancing the shooter's experience. Whether it's a local competition, a day at the range, or even the hunt of a lifetime, setting the standard in aftermarket triggers, Timney is now producing more than 170 models of triggers for bolt-action rifles, shotguns, AR rifles, and semi-automatic rifles. Proudly made in the USA since 1946. Find your new trigger at TimneyTriggers.com. Unmatched modularity, unprecedented accuracy, uncompromising reliability. It's easy to understand why Six Hours P320 is the official sidearm of all branches of the U.S. military. Available in multiple sizes and configurations, including the competition-ready X5 Legion, civilian versions of both the M17, M18, and now the new RXP versions featuring a mounted and zeroed Romeo 1 Pro reflex optic. So it's ready to shoot right out of the box. Six Hours P320. Never settle. Don't be scared, but only enter if you dare. Gun Talk's latest giveaway, that is. One grand prize winner takes home the XDM Elite Optics Ready 22 plus 1 capacity 9mm pistol from Springfield Armory. The light and compact Omega 36M modular suppressor from Silencer Co. A $400 gift certificate from Galco. The CTS 1250 3.25 MOA red dot reflex sight with a battery life of 40,000 hours from Crimson Trace and a lifetime membership to the American Suppressor Association. But that's not all. Four first prize winners will take home a $150 gift certificate from Galco, one of four different triggers from Timney Triggers, including the ARPCC and the Lockdown Puck. Enter if you dare, now through Friday, October 30th at guntalk.com slash win. That's guntalk.com slash win. In 2020, Brownells continues its tribute to Eugene Stoner, the legendary designer of the AR-15, AR-180, and more. The What Would Stoner Do 2020 rifle answers the question of what Stoner would have done with modern lightweight materials. Inspired by another Stoner design, Brownells BRN-180 lower receivers help complete firearms optimized for folding stocks or pistol braces. Visit brownells.com today and pay tribute to one of America's greatest firearm engineers.
I'll get some help from our friends. We'll get emails from my buddies out there. We had a question about uh, if you couldn't find small pistol primers, kind of use, use small rifle primers. Uh, let's see, Ron says, primers are different lengths. If I remember correctly, rifle primers are 0.006 inches longer than pistol primers. I know some pistol rounds are loaded with large rifle primers that are loaded with large rifle primers will slam fire. Interesting, because it would be sticking out, it would be, as they say, proud. And, yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, there also are, weirdly enough, you get some 45 ACP. If you're a reloader, pay attention. Some 45 ACP use large pistol primers. Some use small pistol, pistol primers. I don't know why. That is. I, I, I don't get that. There was a study, <laughs> a report done from Harvard about guns. It was uh, released by Harvard University's Carr Center for Human Rights Policy. It was titled, Reimagining Rights and Responsibilities in the United States Toward a More Equal Liberty. Uh-huh. Carl Bussjäger took a look at that, and he fast-forwarded to the part about guns, and they specifically had a couple of explanations of the Firearms Owners Protection Act and the Dickey Amendment. You may not know what those are, but I'll explain. All of this is just to explain why, even if it comes from a reputable, honored place like Harvard, when it's about guns, it's probably wrong. When it's about guns, it's probably biased. When it's about guns, it's probably put together with an agenda. And that certainly is the case here. Uh, Bushegger wrote the authors of this report and sent them an email. He says, good day. As a firearms policy and law analyst, I fast forwarded to your section on firearms related issues with an eye to writing a column about your report. I'm going to pick out just two items that make it clear you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I like how he sugarcoats this. <laughs> Number one, they said other federal laws have loosened gun restrictions, including the 1986 Firearms Owners Protection Act, which prohibited a national database of firearms uh, dealers. That law, in turn, laid the groundwork for the gun show loophole which allows off-site sales by licensed gun dealers without a background check. Well, you and I both know that if you are a licensed gun dealer, you can't do unlicensed sales anywhere. It doesn't matter if you're selling. You've got to do a background check if you're selling them in your store, in the parking lot, you know, at the McDonald's, out of your trunk of your car, or at a gun show. There is no such thing as a gun show loophole. All the laws in a gun show are the same as all the laws outside a gun show. And every licensed firearms dealer has to do the background check. So right off the bat, they get that one completely wrong. And then, yeah, he makes a point. He says, look, there is no gun show loophole. And then they say federal laws passed in 1996 and 2003 limited government research on gun safety and information the government can collect on gun sales and trafficking. He writes, you are referring to the Dickey Amendment, I believe, but you have grossly mischaracterized it. 
it actually mandated that quote, and this is the actual quote from the Dickey Amendment, none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention may be used to advocate or promote gun control. He continues, research was always allowed at the CDC and continued. They didn't stop doing it. They were only forbidden to, as they had been doing, they were only forbidden from diverting funds from research to conduct gun control activism. In other words, they were taking money that they were supposed to use for research, and they were using it to advocate for gun control. So the Dickey Amendment said you can't do that. Gun control is the purview of Congress, not the CDC. So stop doing that. We're not going to provide you any money for that. But you can continue to do legitimate research on guns if you want to. And they did. It's one of the big lies. They say, well, you know, uh, the NRA prevents research on guns. No, that's just simply not true. Hey, I want to talk to Steve out of uh, Midland, Michigan on line four. Hey, Steve, talk to me about the 6.5 Grendel. I have a little uh, range experience, a little field experience with it. Mm -hmm. I have a 6.5 Grendel, both in an AR upper and in the uh, CZ-527 bolt rifle. Okay, I don't have much time, so give me the the upshot of it. Uh, It bolts very well. It's accurate. Um, I've had uh, quite good experience with... uh, in the field with the Barnes 100 grain uh, tip triple shock, taking mm-hmm. some deer with that, and it's very effective. It's a very easy shooting cartridge in either rifle. Uh, it's uh, got some target uh, work with it done with the Hornady 100 grain ELD match. Uh, both will look very accurate. I've uh, nice. used the Reloader 15 very successfully with the Barnes bullets. Uh, right now, that's my favorite powder for the for the Barnes TTSX hunting. Perfect. It sounds like that. We were asking if that would be a good choice for a young shooter, young hunter. I think it would be. A great range report. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate that. 866-TALK-GUN. If you have a range report, you just got to share it. Back with you, 866-TALK-GUN, or just call me at Tom Talk Gun or something on your mind. You know what? We'll just let you have the floor. We're going to be open lines for the next 30 minutes here. Oh, by the way, um, we have the new Gun Delio website up. You go to Gun Delio. It's G-U-N-D-E-A-L-I-O. It's like, what's the Delio? Um, we find ammo. We find guns. We list all this stuff. You can, of course, you can always put the Gun Delio app on your smartphone. Go to gundelio.com. You can download them there. Save money. Well, these days, just finding ammo is a big deal as well. Also, I uh, got this question. Fellow writes in says, my question is, what is your opinion of police trade-ins? I will someday own a nice 1911, but in the meantime, I've been looking at a Smith & Wesson M&P 45. It's a, a police trade-in. I know it's not a 1911, but I figured it would be really nice first, larger than 22 caliber pistol. And I run into 45 ACP ammo from time to time. Plus, the price is right. I've yet to see any 9mm or other popular cartridges locally over the past month. You know, they're out there. just hard to find. 
Um, it says, also, it'd be kind of nice to have a gun that has a little history behind it being an ex-police firearm. Want to know what I think of police trade-ins. If you don't know, there are some websites out there that offer used guns, police trade-ins. Well, typically, here's what happens. For, say, for instance, Sig Sauer goes to a police department and makes a pitch. And the department decides to buy Sig pistols for its officers. But say they have another brand, whatever that brand is, Glock or Smith & Wesson or somebody that, that they're currently using. A lot of times what happens is the company that made the sale, in this case just hypothetically SIG, part of their deal is they take these guns as trade-ins, the ones that the department already has. That way the department doesn't have to figure out what are we going to do with all these guns. And then they turn around and sell them to somebody Top Gun Supply or somebody like that who resells these police trade-ins. So that's how police guns end up getting on the market as police trade-ins. The question is, are these a good buy? I say yes, but it depends. Like everything else, it always depends, right? It depends on what you're looking for and what are, as they say in the dating, what are your turn-ons and what are your turn-offs, okay? If your turn-ons are getting a good gun at a good price that works, then you're, you're there. If your turn-offs are, it might not be perfect, it might be scratched or, or something, that's going to be a problem. Police officers, law enforcement officers, don't baby their guns, okay? You know, they, they put them in the holster, they get holster wear. They, I, the good part is, the guns are not going to be worn out. They don't shoot them much. They shoot them to qualify. Maybe a few times a year. I mean, I, it would be interesting to have some kind of data, if we could find it, on how many rounds the average police handgun gets put through it in a year. I'm guessing way, way less than 500 rounds a year. Well, I don't care what gun you're talking about, whether it's an M&P or a Glock or, or a SIG or whatever else. That's just nothing. And a lot of times, these are really good deals available. I mean, I don't know if you've ever purchased a police trading gun. If you have, I would love to know, number one, what did you buy? And how how did it work out for you? Maybe we could get a first-hand report of somebody who's purchased one and, and owned it and shot it. Obviously, the number is 866-TALK-GUN. I, well, you know, I'm a fan of used guns. People, by and large, don't wear out their guns. They don't shoot their guns a lot. Now, if it's somebody who's a, been a competition shooter, particularly a top competition shooter, they're out there maybe shooting 500 rounds a week. I mean, some of them shoot even more than that. And yes, you can wear out a gun, but it takes a lot of shooting. I mean, it takes a lot of shooting. Most of us, frankly, I mean, I know I do, probably you do, we buy guns with the intention of owning it, being able to use it and own it for an entire lifetime and then handing it down to our children or grandchildren. We expect guns to last that long, and amazingly, they do. I mean, they just do. So police trade-ins, which is just another form of used gun, really, when you think about it, probably from somebody who did not shoot it a lot, 
And I think it's a good deal. Also, the places who sell them often will say, you know, we have like two different grades. And they basically, as they come through, they look at them, they go, this is like the A grade or the B grade or the better than or, you know, whatever. And it may be an extra few dollars to get the better grade. Your choice. If you're getting it just as a carry gun or home defense gun or something like that, you don't care if it's a little scratched or buffed or got some holster wear. Holster wear, by the way, is just uh, wear on the finish from putting it in and taking it out of the holster, just rubbing against the holster, whether the bluing or the finish. Okay, so just just a thought there. If you have ever used a or purchased a police training gun, let me know, 866-TALK-GUN. Uh, if you're on hold right now, we're going to get to you when we come back, so don't go anywhere. We have uh, a couple of holes available for you if you'd like to join us. And we're open lines, as we tend to be, because Lord knows I cannot hold a thought together and keep a straight theme going, so we're all over the place. I'm Tom Gresham. This is Gun Talk. Introducing the all-new St. Victor from Springfield Armory. Our versatile line of battle-ready configurations designed for serious shooters and built on the rock-solid St. platform for unwavering reliability. Available in carbine-length rifle, SBR, and pistol configurations, each St. Victor is purpose-built and loaded with features to deliver ultimate performance under extreme conditions. The all-new St. Victor from Springfield Armory. Never a victim. Always the victor. Out here in America, we're proud of our values. Your job, your vote, your country, your right to protect your family. Now more than ever, our rights must be protected. But anti-gun politicians want to shut us down. Community by community, they want to ignore the Constitution. We can't let them take our rights away. There's too much at stake this election. Register to vote at gunvote.org. Protect your right to protect yourself. A passion for shooting and hunting has driven product innovation at Hodgson Powder Company since 1947. Innovations like black powder substitutes, muzzle-loading pellets, and smokeless powder features like anti-copper fouling agents or temperature insensitivity. A family business from the beginning, Hodgson Powder Company is the largest U.S. supplier of smokeless black powder and black powder substitute propellants distributed under the Hodgson, IMR, Winchester, Pyrodex, 777, and GoX brands. Hodgson Powder Company, the gunpowder people. Back with the 866-TALK-GUN. Have you ever bought a um, police trade-in gun? Just uh, We had a question about that. Just wondering. Uh, Chris is on 4 out of Toledo, Ohio. Hey, Chris, you're on Gun Talk. What's on your mind? Or he's not on Gun Talk. <laughs> Chris put down the phone. He went somewhere. We'll see if we can get him back up here in just a second here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, triggers. Are you a fan of aftermarket triggers, or at least trigger jobs? It's funny, I was just contacting somebody. I bought an aftermarket trigger for Ruger number 1 and asked for recommendations for a good gunsmith. And somebody said, oh, yeah, this guy could do it. So I contacted them, and the guy said, yeah, we could put that in. He says, but, you know, honestly, we do trigger jobs on those, and it probably will take care of it for you. And he said, you know, what do you want the trigger pull to be? I said, well, I generally on hunting rifles, like three to three and a half pounds. He said, yep, we could do that. It's interesting how 
we like our different trigger pulls. Um, on hunting rifles, I don't like a real lightweight trigger pull. Uh, could be cold, could be wearing gloves, may not have quite as much control over the trigger. We've got cold hands. I mean, we're out there in the rain and the sleet, the snow, and the wind's blowing and everything else. Uh, my dad always liked a two-and-a-half-pound trigger pull on his rifles, which felt too light to me. Now, on varmint rifles, you betcha. Uh, I'll take light because you can control those. You're shooting from a rest. But if I have to throw my body down on a big old sagebrush bush and use that as my shooting platform, I, I don't want to stumble into the trigger. So I'm I'm the three to three and a half pound. That's kind of just where I end up with the deal. So just kind of a thought for you there. Uh, I'm a huge fan of... Either getting a trigger job done or getting an aftermarket trigger. Although, having said that, although, one of the things that's happened is that we, there are a lot of good triggers now on factory guns. I think maybe, well, I was going to say Savage started it with their AccuTrigger, but actually when you go way back, Remington on the Model 700 had a, an adjustable trigger. And the owner, the user, could adjust it. The problem became that some people didn't know how, and they ended up rendering it unsafe by reducing the sear engagement so much that it was unreliable. It might go off when you didn't want it to. So they eventually changed that so you couldn't adjust it. And then other companies came in with adjustable triggers where you could adjust them, but you couldn't reduce the sear engagement so much just to make it unsafe. And then we had these, I don't know what you'd call them, I call them blade-type triggers, where it's, you have the little blade that sticks out of the front of the trigger itself, and so the rifle, you can't bump the rifle and go off. It's kind of like what Glock originally did with its internal safety deal where the trigger actually has to be physically pulled. So you, if you drop the gun, it still won't go off. It, it will pass the drop test. And so I think, somebody could correct me on this, because I could be wrong, but I think Savage was the first one to do that with their AccuTrigger, and then others followed. So we have a whole host of those. And then, of course, you've got Chimney Trigger, which is a company that's been around a long time. Actually, um, they were making triggers, aftermarket triggers, for military surplus guns. If you're either old enough to have been there or you've heard the stories, after World War II, there were a lot of Springfield rifles that people got because they were Army surplus, military surplus, if you will, and they sporterized them, which is a great term. Take a military gun and put a different stock on it so it's more like a sporter or a hunting rifle. Maybe reduce the barrel length. Maybe slick up the action. Do some different things. Uh, you could do a little. You could do a lot. But in the process, the military triggers were pretty bad. <laughs> they were made for combat. And Timney triggers made triggers so you could retrofit on those. And they became kind of the go-to company for all that. There have been a lot of trigger companies through the years. But Timney's been there through the whole thing. And now they make triggers for, it's, it's just amazing. And if you go to Timney Trigger, T-I-M-N-E-Y, Timney Trigger. Uh, look them. I know, we always want to say Timney, 
but that's not it. By the way, Guns and Gear Season 12 is back. You can find it on Sportsman Channel. That's our TV show that we do. We look at kind of the new guns. It's a product showcase, if you will. Uh, we kind of call it it's like a car and driver type of show, except with guns. We go into the studio and we talk about the guns and often have people from the manufacturers there say, what is this? What's new? What do you, you guys do? And then we break from that and we take it out to the range and we try them out. We shoot them and kind of give our impressions because what are the, and you know the drill, it's one thing to read the specs or to have somebody say, well, it weighs this much, the barrel length is this, and it does this thing. But what does it feel like? What's it like to shoot it? Okay. Uh, Jim, do we have time to get Jeff in or should we hold him over here? All right, we can do it. Jeff, you're in. Jim says we can take you. So outline two out of Minden, Nevada. Hey, Jeff, police trade in guns. Talk to me. Hi, Tom. I have a Glock 22 and a Glock 21. Uh, the 21 was in somebody's holster for 30 years plus, and the Glock 22 had significantly less wear. However, mm -hmm. I used both of them in competition, IDPA and USPSA shooting. So... You got holster wear, you got external wear on the finish, but they function just fine, right? Absolutely. As with most uh, guns I shoot in competition, I have to replace springs occasionally. Uh, but I tell you, I, I was really happy with them. I'm happy with both of them. I paid probably 250 to $300 less in retail, mm -hmm. and uh, I'd definitely do it again. You know, it's interesting you mentioned springs. I think it's one of the things that competition shooters understand is that and a lot of people don't springs are consumables they are just things they're like tires on your car you are going to have to replace them if you shoot enough right absolutely i i only shoot about six to eight thousand rounds a year but still uh that that's a lot of wear on springs it is and it's the funny part was uh, i have a friend who uh shot camp perry uh high power all the time he said look barrels are consumables for us and went really most people buy, I mean, if you're a hunter, you buy a gun and you think the barrel's going to last forever. He says, no, no, no. I said, we shoot out barrels. He says, you know, 1,000, 1,500 rounds, maybe 2,000 rounds. Uh, we shoot out a barrel when you're trying to get best accuracy. So there you go. Uh, great report. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that. Police trading guns. Uh, model, I got 22 at a 21. Got them. They had holster wear. Just you know, replace the springs, get it back in. The thing about those guns is they'll probably go well over 100,000 rounds. I mean, you basically are just replacing parts. You can, you can replace the barrels, you can replace the springs, and oh yeah, there's not much else. It's just parts. Oh yeah, by the way, Joe Biden, he will end the, inter, the internet sale of gun parts, springs, barrels, mag releases, gun parts you couldn't order online. Trust me, your local dealer isn't going to have those. Joe Biden, always been a gun banner, always will be. Eight six six Talk Gun will get you in if you'd like to be part of the after show. Right now is the time to call eight six six Talk Gun. Tom's in Omaha, Nebraska, on five. Hey, Tom, you made it onto the show. What's cooking? Well, i got a question for you. I've been trying to get sometimes uh, 1680 on the uh, local cable network here, Century uh, Prism, and mm -hmm. uh, they don't show the shows anymore. 
Uh, you're talking about the Sportsman Channel? Yep. Is there Have you, some did cable you call the, just refusing to? You, see, you talk to them about this, and, and what do they say? Well, I'm going to call them up Monday, but I don't know what's going on. I mean, you know, they arbitrarily take things away from you, you know, if you sign up for stuff, and then they just, you know, say, hey, to heck with you. You're not going to get that program anymore. Yeah, uh, cable systems can be fickle, and they do change programming, and they take uh, networks off that you really want to see, like in our case, Sportsman Channel, where our show Guns and Gears. Well, I I don't know about the rest of them, but I can tell you, if you want to see the Guns and Gear show, uh, we also put that on all of the various ways you can stream YouTube. Uh, let's see, Amazon Fire, uh, Roku. Oh my gosh, it goes on and on. All the all the different they call them OTT over the top boxes basically. Anyway, you can get streaming video. Just look for Gun Talk or Gun Talk Media and you can find our, our app available on all of those. So that will help you with guns and gear. It doesn't help you with the rest of the Sportsman Channel shows, but definitely call your cable provider and say, "Hey, I, I want this thing. Uh, this is why I subscribe to this." And see what they say. See if you can't push them a little bit. Okay, I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. Thanks, I appreciate that. Let's see. Uh, let's do, do, do. We're going to hold. We're going to, Michael and uh, Patrick, don't go anywhere. We're going to get you into the after show because if we don't have quite enough time. It wouldn't be fair to bring you in right now. So we'll bring you into that. Um, thinking about this young man that we took hunting this, well, actually yesterday, now that I think about it. Uh, Nicholas, age 11. Great young man, kind of guy you'd like to have around you, fit in well with the hunting camp. We wanted to provide the hunting camp experience with good men, good people. It's part of that rite of passage, doing adult things with adults where you're treated as an adult. And, you know, when I'm in a hunting camp, it's, it's not a raucous affair. It's not a lot of drinking or anything like that. It's just people swapping stories and just being good people. So we were really glad to be able to, to bring him in. Unfortunately, we were not able to get him a deer. We're going to keep working on that. Uh, we were able to see a lot of deer. Man, I'm telling you, we saw probably 60 deer. He has a doe tag, so we're going to work on that as well. I do like the idea of the 6.5 Grendel. We're going to explore that one. And the idea of maybe a, a youth rifle. I think somebody said the CZ is chambering that. Whether it's a youth rifle or you get a full-size rifle and just cut the stock off. thing is, you know what you could do? You could cut the stock off, put a recoil pad on it, save the part that came off, and then later on you can glue it back on. Yeah, but it'll look like it. Yes, I know. It's going to look like you cut it off and glued it back on. Big deal. Okay? It's just not a big deal. As it gets older, you can put it back on. Or you maybe even buy him another stock. But if you're getting a young shooter involved... The gun needs to fit, boy or girl. Make sure that stock is not too long. Shotguns and rifles. It's just hard. I mean, imagine you're holding a 16-pound gun and the stock is three inches or two inches too long for you. You couldn't shoot that well. So get them something that's lightweight and a shorter stock, okay? In the meantime, I'm just going to throw this out. There's an election coming, and the choice is very clear. If you're a hunter, and hunters are, are kind of sitting on their duffs, on voting a lot of times. You gotta get off your rear. You gotta get it in gear. You gotta go vote. Now I don't care if you don't like his tweets or not. Surely you're not gonna give up your gun rights because you don't like his tweets. 
that would say a lot about you. Be safe out there. We'll be back next week.